Sports are back. Save 40%. Don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now. Get all access to the Athletics' exclusive in-depth coverage. Get unlimited access to breaking news, in-depth stories, and expert analysis on what's sure to be one of the most enthralling seasons in sports history. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash bags and brisby, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back, and you won't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com bags and brisby for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. High in the air, Brito back at the wall, adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy, they're going to get accountability, they're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another, and I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 89 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And Andy, I'm going to set the scene for you. Uh, last night, I went to bed. At, I filed my, my story about the Giants series split about 3 in the morning. I was just having troubles getting it out the way I wanted to. But I was happy that, you know, I got to write about a win. It's always a little bit more fun to write about a win. So I I go to bed. I was able to sleep in a little bit. I woke up about nine o'clock and I just, you know, I woke up and I'm like, yeah, you know, baseball. I, I, uh, I got to write about a win. The Giants are two and two that they're, they're more interesting than I gave them credit for. And then I opened the Twitter machine and baseball's on fire again. What's going on? Are you telling me you looked at the news and the news was bad? Uh, (laughs) I was like, Man, I thought I'd be getting up and talking on the the old Bags and Brisby podcast about the Giants being a little fun, and we're still going to talk about that, but you can't talk about that without acknowledging the distinct possibility that, yet again, we have to be worried about the season. The Marlins have an outbreak. The Marlins are just filled with players who tested positive for the virus. They played yesterday. I don't know why. The protocols are pretty loosey-goosey. And I don't know if there's going to be much more of a season. Am I wrong to think that? Or no, know. absolutely. You know, this is this season is is totally in peril now. And we all sort of thought that this was the danger. This is what could cause the season to unravel. This is why the Giants didn't start the year with Joey Bart. It wasn't just to keep him from getting a year of service time, but for the, to avoid this very thing happening, that he's your starting catcher for four games, and then the season just gets wiped out by a team, you know, going under. Um, and and now you've you've paid the guy a full year. Of, he's going to earn a full year of service time. I mean, that's players saw this coming. Executives saw this coming. I think the league, to some notion, saw this coming. And you know, watching baseball, not only watching the Giants and Dodgers, but other games, you saw a lot of of, of first basemen holding runners and neither of them wearing masks. You saw people high fiving. You know, you, you saw all the things that that weren't supposed to happen because if one guy. Um, comes down with this very highly contagious virus, it might not take a whole team down. 
And now it's starting to take a whole team down and it's having cascading effects. And, you know, the Yankees can't occupy the same spaces that the Marlins were just in in Philadelphia. So that game has been postponed. And, you know, but before anyone thinks, hey, we're going to blame the players for being loosey-goosey and and not following protocols, this is a much bigger deal. If you want to find blame for me, I blame the prevalence of the virus. And the prevalence of the virus in this country does not reflect what it is in the rest of the world. And that's a failure on our leadership. That's a failure on government. That's a failure on certain people who inhabit the White House. That's who I'm mad at today. There's no shortage of people to be mad at, uh, to be fair. I, I, I'm not surprised that Major League Baseball is is so just sort of like, oh, whatever, uh, about this, you know. It, but like I am surprised that there were protocols and it's 101 pages or something like that of if this happens X happens if Y happens Z happens and and it's all sort of kind of official but underneath it all was the idea of yeah let's just hope none of that happens you know cross your fingers and you're seeing it with the Marlins if they're having like a group text message to decide whether or not they're gonna play no like what that's that's not no yeah and david price uh, on twitter we were just talking about it before we hit record here just a few minutes ago tweeting now we really get to see if mlb is going to put players health first remember when manfred said players health was paramount all caps part of the reason i'm at home right now because he opted out is because players health wasn't being put first i can see that hasn't changed i mean this is the problem, though. Players are always going to want to play hurt. They're always going to say, oh, I'm good to go, rub some dirt on it. And that's that's sort of, you can't let this be the player's choice. It can't be their choice whether, oh, we've got a couple people testing positive, can we play? That You can't leave that choice in their hands. You can't leave that choice in Don Mattingly's hands. You know, it's, uh, uh, they're, they're clearly, for all the protocols about, hey, you can't throw the baseball around the horn after a strikeout because that's dangerous from too many people touching the same object, that stuff just seems so ticky-tack compared to all the big stuff that they can't control. And uh, that's why we're sort of where we are, where we are. And, you know, let, let's let's hope they can figure it out. Let's hope that this season wasn't just a, a, a four-game season. Um, but because it was a lot of fun to watch uh, over the weekend. It's so normal to sit and watch baseball, even with the, the empty stands and uh, the piped-in crowd noise. There were moments where I'm just sort of like my mind trails off a little bit and then I snap back to attention because the pitch is thrown. And that was so normal. Just the idea of you can watch a baseball game and get lost in it. You can watch a baseball game and just sort of let it be the background noise for a second. And I got to tell you, it was as soothing. It was way more soothing than I thought it would be. I I thought, well, it's going to be really weird. It's going to be there's always going to be the elephant in the room. It's going to be the this omnipresent thing hovering over you that this is Corona baseball. And now, you know, for a little bit, it was, it was fine and it was great and it was fun. And I really hope that we get to see more of it. Yeah. I mean, you could look at Sean Anderson and be like, whoa, 90 mile an hour slider. That was pretty yes. darn amazing. Or, or, or Sam Coonrod throwing 99 or, um, you know, just the, the, the way the giants tried to scheme their way through this series. And, you know, Farhan Zaidi, he he came from LA. He he knows the 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 blueprints to the Death Star. He knows how to how to try to run up against this team and scheme your way past it. And it worked so terribly in the first two games, but it worked in the next two. And they got a split, which is really a win for them. Um, and I don't think they're going to operate that way all season. I think this was very much designed just for this opponent. 
and I think they are going to go to a little more of a conventional pitching plan if they if they can um, going forward. But yeah, you saw them basically for months think about how they were going to operationalize uh, for this series, and they finally got to do it. And you saw it really not work, and then you saw it work, and uh, and that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I was a little uh, aghast after the first two games. I think most people watching, most fans, most most writers were just sort of, you know, doing the the blinking meme where it's just like, what are, what are we watching? Like this is this is awful. And when they when they lost seventeen to two, you know, in those first two games, and you see the names the Dodgers are spitting out there. Every time you look up, there's an All Star or an MVP at the plate, or some guy they just had in their their coat pocket who gets platoon at bats because they can just platoon guys like Jock Peterson, uh, it, where he would be hitting fourth every day on the Giants. And you just realize they are so much better than the Giants, just wildly, wildly better. And then the next two games happened, and the Giants start spitting out not All-Stars and MVPs, but a real eclectic, diverse group of arms where you have fastballs coming from the left side, sinkers coming from the right, you have 94 to 99, you have a dude who's, who's scraping up the rosin bag as he goes underneath. It's it, it's a really interesting mix of arms that they've built, and it was enough to flummox the Dodgers, which is kind of a, a proof of concept. Yeah, there. and, you know, they can't uh, run every game like they ran Sunday's game. Uh, you know, they're going to have to get more length from a Drew Smiley and a start like that. They're going to have to, you know, they're going to have fewer relievers available. The roster is going to be reduced from 30 to 28 to 26, assuming we get two weeks into the season and then two more weeks into the season. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, for, for, for them to start the year with the Dodgers with a 30-man roster worked very well. Um, for them to get all seven of their games against the Dodgers out of the way when they're still going to have... 30 and then 28 players on the roster, I think is going to be an advantage to them. Um, but, you know, they could do that because they've got an off day on, on the, the Monday. And so, you know, one thing that that really became kind of a, a Twitter um, a Twitter controversy was, where's Jeff Samarja? Where's Jeff Samarja? You know what? I thought Bruce Bochy's worst move in 12 years as Giants manager was starting Jeff Samarja against the Cubs in the 2016 NLDS when he clearly just was not very good. And he had better options, and he didn't do it. And I think he didn't do it because it was, he was, um, you know, uh, he was showing respect to one of his veteran players. And the Giants uh, this year didn't do that. They knew Jeff Samarja was getting hit around. He wasn't missing bats in camp games. He's healthy, but uh, he was their worst matchup of their bulk inning starters. So I think he would have pitched yesterday if they'd fallen behind eight nothing in the third inning, but. Um, you know, this way they can pitch him at home against the Padres, a team that has more right-handed bats. You've got Samarja and Cueto going one-two. So they've really, I think, moved their pitching around to say, you know, where can we have the, the most exposure is going to help us and the least exposure is going to help us. And Jeff Samarja not pitching in this series was a tactical move, and it was the right one, I think. It speaks to uh, the Giants starting pitching that we didn't necessarily mention them as as, as the problem in those first two games that that wasn't what the issue was i mean tyler anderson wasn't great but you 
you can make an argument for all of these guys, and I think we knew that coming into the season. But to see it, you, you know, Cueto's pitching well. He's he's disrupting timing. Anderson, okay, he wasn't he wasn't great, but you can see what the Giants uh, see in him. Drew Smiley, I think he was he was doing pretty pretty darn well, missing bats. Logan Webb was something of a revelation, which we we sort of expected based on the chatter coming out of camp. But listen, it's it, it's a rotation that. If they can be stretched out a little bit, and I don't think anyone's expecting them to go six, seven innings every outing, but stretching these guys out, and then you add those the disparate group of bullpen arms, I don't know. It seemed like the first four games, it, that plan didn't look so wacky. Yeah, I agree. And and again, the day off helped, I think, them sort of deploy their pitching in that way. And they can't deploy that, that way all season. The starters are going to have to pitch better, and they're going to have to get a little bit more length out of starters. Maybe they use openers and then you, your starter maybe, uh, you know, goes five or six innings after that. Um, that could be one way they 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 uh, they try to goose things along. But yeah, I think this was a very specific um, set of circumstances. This was a very specific strategy for this opponent that they knew it was very important that they beat. And they probably had a little personal skin in the game. Not only the players as part of the rivalry, but Gabe Kapler, Farhan Zaidi. These guys really want to beat the Dodgers. And, uh, and, and, and you know, so yeah, they, they, they definitely went about it in a different way, in, in a way they had to. Uh, because, you know, like you wrote, like I wrote, uh, you know, how can you criticize them for trying to scheme their way through when it would be ludicrous to try to play this team straight up? It's just, it's too good a team. Um, so now we're going to see how, what happens, what it looks like, hopefully, um, when they settle in as a pitching staff. And, and obviously they have to lose a few arms out of that bullpen as they whittle down the, the roster. But it's, I think a split was, was probably, um, you would have taken it going in for sure. And you especially would have taken it after those first two games. So, um, yeah, it's just nice to talk about uh, uh, on-the-field granular baseball stuff again. Let's take a quick time out to tell you about Dugout Mugs, a company that started in a college dugout. Licensed by Major League Baseball, it's your favorite team laser engraved onto a birchwood baseball bat barrel mug. Perfect for the big game, to put on display, or to be the life of the party. It's a unique gift for a baseball fan. Go to dugoutmugs.com slash theathletic and use promo code MLB30 for 30% off your first purchase. That's dugoutmugs.com slash theathletic and code MLB30. Fill that baseball void with your very own dugout mug today. And one of the surprises for me, and maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, maybe I'm just a little naive, was Kevin Gaussman uh, over the weekend saying, uh, yeah, this is a little weird and I don't like it when it comes to the mixing and matching of the starting pitchers and, and the relievers. And, you know, Gaussman comes in relief uh, just to pitch for a little bit. And he's not a fan. And I always just, you know, in my head, I guess these guys are like MLB The Show guys where, you know, you just plug them in and they and they play obviously that's not true but I figured of anyone Gossman would be the the most flexible I guess mentally just because of what he did last year he was a reliever he was a starter and he seemed to fit a hybrid model more than the other starters on the team uh, but he's not a fan and I think Gabe Kapler's response was telling which was yeah we like that uh, but 
I wouldn't worry about it too much if I were him. I, I'm paraphrasing, uh, but he said it's going to get a little more normal. Yeah, and yeah. that surprised me too. Well, um, you know, that's one thing that Gossman hinted at as well. And in fairness to him, he wasn't like trying to jump through his Zoom screen and, and get all threatening and say, I, "I'm mad <laughs> as hell. I'm not going to take this anymore." I mean, he did say, "I'll do it. I'll do whatever it takes to help us win." If you ask me my opinion, I'm more of an old school guy. I believe there should be starters and relievers, but it sounds like this is kind of a short term thing. So, you know, I'm down with it. I'm fine with it. So the quotes probably made it sound like he was a little more combative than he actually was. Um, and, and Gabe Kapler was, you know, very kumbaya about it. It's like, I love that about Kevin. I love that he wants the ball. He will start. He will pitch deep into games for us. The most important thing is that we communicate and that I know what he feels and he knows what I feel. And we don't have to agree on this, these things, you know, but we understand each other. Well, life doesn't always work that way. You're not going to get people to be like, okay, you know, we're all hunky dory and we disagree. I mean, people just don't disagree that way in 2020. But, um, you know, I think that the main takeaway is that, this was a short-term strategy. Kevin Gossman, I think, will start games uh, probably as soon as maybe you know this this homestand if if the Giants are able to play it. And um, and yeah, I, 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 Johnny Cueto as well saying, you know, I hope I can pitch deeper in the game than than I did this first time. And we can't get in the clubhouse. We can't do the interviews. You know, someone on Twitter was like, "Why aren't you talking to Samarjo about this?" It's like, dude, there's a freaking pandemic. We can't go in the clubhouse. We get like two players on Zoom a day. We generally request guys who played a role in the game. Uh, what, what we're gonna ask Jeff Samarja to bear his soul on a group Zoom? I mean, come on, people just don't have. Some people just don't have a realistic notion of what we can do as reporters covering the team under these circumstances. It's not going to be ideal, right? We're not going to get you every insight that we normally get. But between what Gosman said, between what Cueto said, you start to think, you know what? If this team had had gotten boat raced two more times and they were 0-4, there really could have been a possibility that the clubhouse could have turned a little bit on Gabe Kapler. I believe that because you buy into something when you see it work. And when you don't see it work and you're not comfortable with it, it's very easy to reject it right away. And I do think that it was probably a very, very good thing for Gabe Kapler, for this coaching staff, for, you know, the bonhomie of that room that they played a lot better and they won two games at Dodger Stadium. We saw that with Gabe Kapler's first managerial stint in Philadelphia. He was in the news that first week of the season because he brought in a reliever who hadn't warmed up yet, I believe. And the players, they saw that. And you can be excused for thinking that was the beginning of the end, like that first week where they're going, I'm like, okay, what is going on here? I'm not buying in like I maybe would have. I don't know. I, I do think the first week, especially in a, in a truncated season, it is going to be wildly important just based on the math, but also from a mental standpoint, getting these guys to buy in. If every loss is like a three-game losing streak, opening the season with what's essentially a 12-game losing streak in Dodger Stadium, there would have been some discord after that. It was really important to get that series split. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, now they got the Padres coming in, and we know they've got a difficult schedule. The Giants, I think, um, uh, at least by 2019 record, have the fourth or fifth most difficult schedule of any team in the majors. They're going to be going against up against the wild card against teams from the Central that are going to be playing the you know, Tigers and Royals a lot. So it you know it's it's going to be tough. The, the Giants are going to have to really um, try to sustain this momentum. They're probably going to have to finish a, a game or two above 500. Uh, maybe not, but but it'd be a good idea if they did. Um, and, you know, I think their playoff chances went from like around like 9% to 16% or something. Did you write that? I think it was in your piece. Yeah. So 
I mean, yeah. that's not nothing, especially when you've played, you know, the best team in, in the National League, those four games. You know, that's that's uh, that's not nothing. But, you know, it doesn't mean that these guys have arrived and they're contending. Um, it, but there's a lot to look forward to, I think, on this homestand, too. Are, are we going to see Joey Bart in a couple days? I, I think we will, uh, depending on what happens with, with this virus. But, um, um, you know, how are they going to structure their pitching moving forward? There's there's going to be a lot of interesting things uh, to look at, but I think it's going to be important with the Padres, and who are a good and upcoming team, and the Rangers, who've had their problems already, and some pretty significant ones, um, that they have a winning record on this homestand because you got games against the Astros, you got games against the A's, you go right back to Dodger Stadium, the Angels are pretty good. It's going to be a tough schedule. Let's go back just for a second to talk about the, the, the pitching and the... <clears throat> one reliever per inning, one one pitcher per inning strategy. Uh, aesthetically, do you enjoy it? Because I thought I would hate its guts, and I, I'm getting a lot of different opinions. You know, family and friends. Uh, some people just really hate it. Still, I thought I would hate it, but maybe it's it's that a lot of these arms are new and fresh to me. But I'm sort of enjoying watching like Rico Garcia for an inning, and then Wandy Peralta for an inning. Like the the procession. Of pitchers, I don't know. It, it's sort of endearing to me. Is it? Are you finding the same thing, or are you as annoyed as say I don't know uh, my my family? Yeah, does? I think I'm seeing it the same way you are. I, I'm interested to see what these guys after watching them in in two camps. You know, just what their stuff looks like and how it plays. And uh, um, uh, yeah, Drew Smiley's changeup and Logan Webb's changeup and. Um, uh, you know, Sean Anderson's slider that we talked about. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm interested to see how all that stuff plays. So so I think I'm probably viewing it the same way you are, where you're not seeing as many uh, mid-inning pitching changes. That's where I think you really slow the game down. And, uh, um, and, and you know, they, they have to have that three-batter rule with, with as many pitchers as teams have on the roster, or else the games would really, really get sluggish. So, um, yeah, you know, I I've, I found it interesting just because we're learning about all these different people and learning that, you know, a lot of them have, have some tricks up their sleeve that, that'll work against major league hitters and good major league hitters. I think the caveat here is that you need to have interesting arms who are successful. And it's almost like, uh, I don't know, that, that seemed obvious, but if the Giants <clears throat> are going out there and they've got, let's just pick a bullpen at random, let's go 2017. If they're trying this strategy and it's with Albert Suarez, Brian Morris, Neil Ramirez, Mira's, Dan Slania. I mean, it, it's not going to be as as elegant. So it, it's the idea that you can go out there with a guy like like Wandy Peralta, who I, I really am impressed with his cutter or two seamer or what what have you. With the, the pitch he's throwing to the third base dugout side, uh, he's nailing that a lot. And I just I love watching these guys pitch. Rico Garcia, how is he available for free? Is that just twenty twenty baseball? Uh, so I, I'm really into it as long as it works. And that's that's sort of a self fulfilling prophecy. But uh, as long as it works, hey, I'm in. Yeah, let's take guys who are interesting minor league starters who have become six year free agents, and let's see what their stuff looks like in the bullpen. I mean, it's it's. Sean Anderson is a great example of that. You know, if the Giants had just used him as a starter in the minors and he'd sort of been eh, kind of okay, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's a six-year minor league free agent, uh, that that's kind of what Rico Garcia is. He, he's also someone who doesn't really fit the profile, right? He's like five foot nine. Uh, guys who are right-handed and, and that short, unless they have Sergio Romo's slider, generally don't really make or stay in the big leagues. But he's got good stuff. He's got a fastball that's got some good, interesting characteristics to it, uh, just like Caleb Barger does. Um, and, and their stuff is playing up in relief. So, 
Um, yeah, I think that's that's one of the things the Giants were looking for, and and we're seeing some of their scouting acumen combined with the data, um, and it's it's making a difference. It's 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 really making a contribution. But as much as I think the pitching has been kind of eye opening and fun and different, um, there's also the matter of the people standing behind the pitchers and you wrote a little about that that was not so wonderful yeah that was at let's see when was that that was saturday night so i'm writing saturday night and i'm a little irritable at that point because i'd seen the giants lose 17 to 2 uh my headline i guess I, i could walk it back a little bit but the headline was the giants defense has been appalling to start the season which is the kind of headline that happens when you file at two in the morning after watching the giants get boat raced uh the defense, like, okay, so we knew the defense wasn't going to be great. There's a lot of repurposed uh, players. You've got uh, Mauricio Debon trying out center field. You've got Jalen Davis maybe playing center sometimes. He's not a natural center fielder. Uh, Mike Estremski is very athletic. He's not a natural center fielder, or at least we, we don't think he is. Uh, you have Darren Ruff. You've got all over the diamond, you have players who... Yeah, you know, if they can hit, you'll you'll live with them. Wilmer Flores. The problem is when they don't hit. That's when everything just becomes so glaring and the team looks awful when you have that defense because you're looking for offense and then the offense doesn't show up. It's a great big woof. And that was the story of the first two games of the season for me. Yeah, and there were some good plays too. I mean, Austin Slater crashed against the wall, made a good catch. Darren Ruff took out the bullpen gate while making a catch. Uh, We're going to see that highlight for a long time, I think. Um, You know, the Dodgers ran into some double plays, uh, got doubled off on balls in the air. Uh, But boy, Wilmer Flores, ooh, boy, I I would not want to be his catch partner. That's... uh, that was rough. That was rough to watch. And I think there's a reason we haven't seen Pablo Sandoval at third base, uh, really. He's been pretty much just a first baseman. Um, you know, they were going to have Hunter Pence out in left field on opening day. Uh, that got switched around, so he ended up being the DH. Uh, yeah, there's there are some defensive issues. Donovan Solano had a rough defensive series. Even Brandon Crawford made an error. So, um, yeah, that's, that's going to be something to watch. I will say, watching Yastrzemski glide out there in the outfield – he is a good athlete, and I, I think the more you watch him, the more you realize this is a guy who really does make a lot of positive contributions. And you know, good for him for for sticking in there, keeping his nose in there. You know, uh, always a guy that that had to prove himself. You know, couldn't get to the big leagues with the worst team in baseball, the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, I'm sure everyone's waiting for for him to show that last year was a fluke, at least sort of rationally. Um, but, uh, you know, he had a good series and, and good for Mauricio Dubon after a really rough start at the plate. He had a really nice, uh, uh, end to the series as well. Getting his confidence up is going to be important too, I think. Yastrzemski really impressed me with his swing decisions where he was taking some tough pitches. He was, he was trying that Barry Bonds philosophy of swing only at the pitches you can really just crush and don't worry so much if you if you miss them I mean Bonds hit hit them all but you know that that's the idea is that you're you're just trying to swing as hard as you can on those pitches in the zone and I remember Yastrzemski not doing that all the time last year he had a fine year last year but this year I'm not sure if it's just a small sample and I'm reading too much into it but it sure looks to me like he's controlling the strike zone a little bit more this year which bodes well for him. Yeah, he he did have six strikeouts in the series in 17 plate appearances, uh, three walks. I'm trying to think how many of those strikeouts were looking. I know at least a couple of them were. Um, but uh, yeah, overall, the Giants had 34 strikeouts 
in four games and uh, and 10 walks. So, you know, a little low for, for the strikeout-to-walk ratio that they'd want, but they also faced some really good pitching in the series. And it was their first, you know, four games of the season when the pitchers have got to be just way ahead of the hitters. So, you know, we'll see. But I, I do think that you saw signs, even though there were games that kind of reminded you of, um, you know, the Giants basically hitting singles and leaving runners on base and hitting into double plays and looking fairly impotent on offense. We've just seen a lot of that for a lot of years. I do think overall you saw better swing decisions, better zone awareness. Um, and and that could, you know, th- those things are, are going to translate. Those things are going to lead to more production. One thing that caught my eye, not to, not to go back and, and be a, a downer again, but when you're used to watching Buster Posey behind the plate for a decade, uh, you start to get used to it and maybe take it for granted. Thus far, I mean, Tyler Heineman is hitting 444 with a four, uh, 545 on base percentage. He's, he's doing wonderful at the plate. Uh, you know, Rob Brantley, just he's had three at-bats. He's played one game. But I haven't seen that sort of controlling the defense, stealing the strikes. Uh, I haven't seen that yet from either one of them. And, and that's what makes me think Bart... Joey Bart coming up, it might not be because of his bat and getting that power bat in the lineup. It might be because the Giants are looking for maybe a little bit more defense behind them. Oh, I agree. And in terms of controlling uh, the entire uh, infield, Buster has a lot to do with that for sure. And I think it's going to be really hard to expect Joey Bart to jump right to the big leagues, as complex as the big leagues are right now, as much data as there is, and, and, and be proficient at that. Um, but in terms of receiving skills, yeah, I, I think that Joey Bart's probably got the best receiving skills of anybody. And, you know, we could see uh, Bart and Chris Herman being the catching core because the Giants picked up Chris Herman, who opted out of his deal with, with the Rays, not opting out for COVID purposes, but opting out just for, hey, I'm not going to make this team. I might get a job somewhere else purposes. And uh, he was on their taxi squad. They're going to send him to Sacramento on Tuesday um, uh, to be a part of their their uh, their camp there. But he's a lefty hitter. He can play a little outfield in a pinch. And um, I could definitely see uh, a Bart Herman uh, catching core in, in the not-too-distant future. Uh, but, you know, like you said, he- Heinemann did show a lot of guile. Uh, he had a nice bunt single. Um, you know, obviously had a big base running mistake in, in, in the opener. But uh, he's a guy who has a good track record for getting on base and for just being a smart player. So, um, yeah, I, I think you have to say that he had a positive series overall. If I'm Rob Brantley and I see them sign Chris Herman, that's sort of like if I wake up tomorrow and The Athletic has hired a Giants writer who likes to tell knock-knock jokes. <laughs> and I, I would just sort of look across and go, oh, 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 oh. You know, so I I don't know much about Chris Herman. I do remember he had like a really silly season uh, uh, for the Diamondbacks one year where he was just hitting everything. I think he was crushing the Giants too. Uh, but I, I don't think he's an offensive guy, like not even to the Rob Brantley level, but he's going to play all, he can play the outfield. He can play first base. Uh, he's a lefty bat and maybe you get a little something out of him and he's, he's pretty solid defensively, if I remember correctly. And they did say they wanted someone who had a little more big league experience, so... Um... Uh, he certainly would fit the bill there, especially if you want to tandem uh, another catcher with Joey Bart. I think it makes sense to have someone who's got as much experience as possible. And, you know, there's a big difference between the decision for uh, a Chris Herman to want to play this season and, and for a Russell Martin, who's made $100 million in his career, 
to want to play this season. So, you know, as much as there's the Russell Martin crowd, I think we've talked about why it might be difficult to convince him to, uh, to get off his couch and, and, and maybe he's, maybe he's done. I, I don't know, but, um, you know, yeah, you, you look at what it took to, to catch all of the disparate pitching in this series. I mean, that was, that was a task. That was a difficult task for, for any catcher. And, uh, and Heineman, uh, I think he acquitted himself uh, pretty well. All right. Well, this has been episode 89. And I have to apologize because I teased a couple episodes ago that there was a, a giant who had worn number 87. And, and he was going to be the last player number that we could reference. Uh, that was Dan Otero. Dan Otero. I, I, I left everyone hanging. Dan Otero wore 87. Um, so... Check that off of your bingo card, I guess. There you go. He, a scratch golfer has a, a degree from Duke University. Dan Otero. Ah, uh, him and me both. All right. <laughs> this has been episode 89 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, thanks to Tanika Smothers for producing us. We will be back on Thursday. Will baseball? I don't know. Let's let's see. It's a, it's a heck of a toboggan ride. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>